Hey there, people of the interwebs. Before we jump into the, this month's uh, episode of the Bookies podcast, um, if you're in the San Diego area, uh, GamerCon is holding an art show at the 10th and, uh, Avenue Art Center located on uh, 10th Avenue in San Diego. Uh, the show runs from January 6th to the um, 8th. Uh, I know on the 8th they're going to be doing like a video game thing in the art show. Uh, I will be there January 7th. Um, please come out, enjoy the art, enjoy the show. Um, so uh, that is hosted by GamerCon, and I just want to say thank thank them for inviting me, and and uh, I hope you guys come out and uh, and support GamerCon. Also, I want to remind everyone to uh, check out the Facebook page, Bookies, uh, facebook.com slash bookies. Um, we're posting almost every day there. Uh, please like and subscribe. Commenting on iTunes really does help because it helps get the word out. It um, tells iTunes people are listening and uh, boosts it up in the recommendations. So um, please like. Uh, comment, like, subscribe. Uh, thank you for your support. This month's episode is um, The Thief of Always by Clive Barker. Um, we always see a spike when we're doing children's literature. It's, it's kind of interesting in views. So um, please like and share. And uh, um, if you've never listened to an episode of the Bookies podcast, we are a book club where once a month we sit down and we talk about a book, the characters, themes, and plot. Um, so past this point, there be spoilers. Um, hope you enjoy uh, this month's book, Clive Barker, Thief of Always. Right, so we're going to get started. Go around the table and... Names and yeah. Names and stuff. Names and things. So they know who we are. I'm Brandon. Hi, Brandon. Every <laughs> <laughs> <Deadly> time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Justin. <laughs> yeah, well, are we just doing first names this time? Yeah, well, yeah. Just to go first names. Okay, sure. Okay. I got. I'm. I got a cold. I'm. Okay. Out. <laughs> I'm Bonnie. <laughs> I'm Wayne. I'm David. <laughs> I'm Lewis. I'm Amy. And uh, we are the Bookies Podcast. Uh, this month we are re uh, read uh, The you Thief of Always by Clive Barker. Dave, this was your book. You want to tell us why you uh, you brought this forth? Um, I've been a Clive Barker fan ever since I very first saw Hellraiser back in the early 80s. And I've been... Uh, I guess fantasized about all of the horror genre that Clyde Barker produced and been reading his books one by one as I found them and when I found The Thief of Always that one was just my favorite one and um, it was easiest to read out of all of them and I guess I could relate to the, the character of, of the book and that's why I, I I liked it the most. Hmm. You said online this was your favorite book of um, period. Yes. Um, <clears throat> previously on the previous podcast, the reason why I chose it was um, I enjoyed it, and this is actually the first book in my entire life that I've actually read twice. 
But high praise, high praise for mm-hmm. the thief of all ways. Which is always good when you have a book that you're going to read more than once, you know? Yeah, this is, the, this is the first one I've read twice. No other book. Not even the Conan books, and I'm a big Robert E. Howard fan. Yeah. There's, um, there's relatively few books that I've actually read more than once. Yeah. But when I do, it, it tends to be a lot more than once. <laughs> <laughs> Either once or a million times. <laughs> 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 <I'm> <laughs> <of> extremes, right? <laughs> I don't read it twice. <laughs> I read it too many times. Like I keep adding more to that. <laughs> this is the, the first Clive Barker book I've ever read. Um, you know, I'm more familiar with his films um, and some of his paintings and all that kind of stuff. I have to admit, the subject matter in the early on really struck a chord with me. I don't do well with child endangerment stories and child abuse stories. But you just have to tough it out because the end makes it all worth it. Yeah. You know. Um, we'll go around the table and just like our favorite moments. Um, we'll just jump right into the end because I, like you said, I was having problems with this book because of the subject matter. And the whole time I'm reading this, I'm thinking, eight-year-old Brandon does not make it out alive. <laughs> eight-year-old Brandon ends up fish food. He, he just doesn't make it out of the storyline. There's the moment at the end where the older gentleman, who we never get his name, just says, I have it on good authority. Your son is a hero. I just started to weep. Like, I, like weak in the knees... Nasty snot bubble crying. That was Lulu's husband. Yeah, Lulu's husband, but we never get his name. Yeah, we just Mr. Lulu's husband. <laughs> Mr. Lulu's husband. Um, God, it was just—it was such a moment that I wasn't expecting throughout the rest of the book. Like the book for me, everything led up to that moment. It's—it's uh, it's vindication. Because, like, we were talking last night, my wife and I, um, about, like, Harry Potter. Harry Potter does nothing wrong. He's born. He's the chosen one. Voldemort's there to kill him. Um, Henry is the kid's name, right? Harvey. Harvey, Harvey, sorry. Harvey screws up. He makes a deal with... With uh, the smiling sharp man, Rictus. Rictus. Makes a deal with Rictus. Doesn't know what he's giving up. Signs a bad contract. You know, doesn't have to sign a contract, but goes with Rictus. He made a mistake. Everything from that moment, once he realizes the, the true mistake he made, is leading up to vindication. That moment when he has, I have it on good authority, your son is a hero. That is vindication. That is the completion of a hero's arc. And I just, again, snot bubble crying. <laughs> you know, like that just, that got me. So. Um, there were, I can't recall one scene except the one where it's Halloween. And he, he, Wants to uh, scare. I forget his little Windle. 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 <coughs> and 
he goes up on the roof and meets the, the two up there and turns into this giant, basically a vampire bat and swoops down and it was a little bit more ghoulish than it was. It was, was yeah. It was slashed. And yeah. It was a pretty intense thing, and uh, I think that's the, the the point in the story where he realizes there's something wrong, and because the guy is like egging him on, you know, ki- basically killing, killing, killing. You know, you know, you want to, and part of him does, and part of him does, but he 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 stops because Wendell is. Beside himself, he's literally freaked out, and uh, I thought that point in the book was well done. Just, just like the, he realizes that he did something bad, and he's from then on he starts searching around trying to figure out what's going on, what's wrong, and stuff like that. So, my favorite part was the beginning. The February Beast. August Beast. No, the February. February. Great Beast of February. He's mentioned several times at home, this is my husband, that that he loved how well he wrote the Great Beast February and just (laughs) the boredom and he just felt like, oh my, yes. Oh, you know, he felt the boredom real and tangible (laughs) and felt that the writing was great. And the writing is very good. There's some very descriptive stuff in there. Like the Great Beast February. Um, the Great Grey Beast February yes. that Eaton Harvey Swift alive. Yeah, that's a great opening one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what are you going to get? Uh, I, I only made one highlight in this whole book, actually. Um, strange. But anyway, it's... Um, yeah, let's look at that. Oh, let's go to it. It's when they're trying to escape... And they just made it out of the mist, and um, Wendell didn't recognize nothing. <laughs> well, it's, it's before they they, they just they just realized that the creature is starting to die, the, the one that was chasing them. And, and there's this, this one sentence that says, "Evil, however powerful it seemed, could be undone by its own appetite." Like it wanted them so bad, it came outside of its safety zone and couldn't live out in the real world and started to die, and it was its own fault. Um, and I just thought that that was a really profound statement because it's so true in any aspect of you know it can't you know I thought it was really true and, and a really interesting statement. But those things are hard to realize. This is this, I think this was actually the third time I read the book, <laughs> <laughs> but it's been years since I read it. Years. I remembered the basic gist of the book and I remembered how it ended, but I had forgotten. That he and Wendell made it out and then went back. I had forgotten that. And I'm like, wait, they just made it out? Didn't he have this whole confrontation? Like, I'm like, where's the confrontation? What? And he goes out and then his parents are old, and I'm like, oh, it's like Flight of the Navigator. <laughs> I'd forgotten that. I love that movie. Sorry, that's the old movie from when I was a kid, Flight of the Navigator. Um, I was just talking about the movie the other day. Anyway, but it's, you know, where he shows up and everybody's old and he's still the same age he was and it's been this gap of years and, you know, and then he has to try to find his way back. Um, and, I mean, I, I liked the book. I liked the, the first, you know, time around. It is creepy. Like, if I'd read it at the age it's meant for, I would have had really bad dreams because... <laughs> 
I wouldn't have read this as a kid. I would, uh, I, 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 wouldn't I, wouldn't, I would not recommend this to my niece. She's a very sensitive type. Since she just has a sensitive spirit, and she's prone to bad dreams about things. And so, even though she's 11, she's in sixth grade, I would hold off having her read it because she would have vivid, horrible nightmares from this book. It's funny that I mentioned <laughs> that because just, I don't know if it was earlier today or yesterday, I told Brandon, you know, this is very R.L. Stein-esque in the way, the fact that it's that age group that if you read it at that age, you're probably thinking this is terrifying. Like, oh my gosh, why would I, why would I do this to myself, you know? And then, like, I told, you know, if I had known of this book when I was that age, I probably would have read it, been terrified, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, I'm reading something scary. <laughs> right? Like, oh, I'll get away with something. It's almost like one of those EC cards. Like, I'm yeah. reading this under the blankets, and I know I shouldn't be reading it. Right, right. And, like, it opens up textbook children's literature. Like, a young kid Absolutely. is bored. It's like Phantom Tollbooth gone wrong. Like, he's <laughs> trying to figure out what to do. And then... Like later on in the book, some dark shit happens. Like it's just amazing the kind of stuff this kid goes through. I kept uh, comparing it in my head to Little Nemo in Slumberland, yeah. with the exception of like the stakes in this are very real. Mm-hmm. Whereas Little Nemo in the original comics, he wakes up, it's no big deal. Yeah. Um, but the the stakes in this are so cranked up to yeah. eleven. And it begs the question of, like, would you classify this as children's literature, or is it more like young adult fiction? I would call it young adult. Yeah, Yeah, young adult. adult. Despite the fact that the character is 10. (laughs) Right. I would still say, don't read it until you're, like, 14. (laughs) Maybe 13, you know what I mean? Like, but um, I thought it was really interesting. I think one of the things that I liked the most is, is each of the creatures that he made, like, you know, the... They were all made of different things. Mud and clay. Like one, yeah, one was mud, one was sand, one was gaseous, mm. you know, and um, what was the other one? It was just like dirt and dust. Yeah. Or ash. Or ash yeah, you know, so it was all, you know, they were all made of different things, and and Rictus was described as plaster-like at one point. When he's yeah. looking through and, and mm-hmm. the the veneer is cracking, right? Like, but early on, he, he he had a smell about him that was like it was it was sweaty, wasn't it? Or it was like it was that? almost like it was almost he it like, was like rotten cabbages or something. Yeah, like it, yeah, it brought yeah. to mind like flatulence, and then it turns out that he is yeah he is yeah. gas, and so then you're like, well, that makes sense. So why he smelled so stinky? Yeah, you know why he smelled like fart? He was fart. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, and I, lo- I like, you know, it's there's different. There's a there's a bit of a matrix moment um, when he and Wendell have gone back and they're and Wendell's eating the food again. He drunk drank the Kool Aid. Kids all back to where he was. He just kind of smacked that kid upside the head. You're like, what? you know, and Wendell's useless. Wendell's, Wendell's completely useless. Kid. He's just weak willed. He is. He's just weak. He is. Because it's the temptation that came mm-hmm. in and then. And, but but Harvey knows we're eating dust. We're, you know, we're, this is the, he doesn't want to eat it. And, and it's like it reminds me of the the first Matrix where the guy's like, I know this oh, isn't a real yeah, state, yeah. but my body is. You know, <laughs> I know it's all in my mind, but I want the I want the illusion. You know, where there there are people that they want they'd rather have the illusion than. The reality, and and I, you know, I guess that's some of us. Why else we read books? We want to. It's a very human thing. It's it's desiring the the easy way, even if it's not necessarily you know 
real. Because yeah. so we, we don't want to open our eyes sometimes and see yeah. we're eating dirt. You know, right? <laughs> but I mean, it was just, you know, there's some interesting moments. There's some deep stuff in this, even though it's written as a kid's book. Yeah, put that in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> there's some really deep stuff. There is. And anyway, all right. I want to say a little kid, but definitely uh, early teens. Yeah. Should we, I mean, definitely yeah. not for Rebecca or, or younger, mm-hmm. 11 or younger or whatever. No, yeah. it might be a little bit much. Yeah. Just depending on the maturity of the child, I guess. Right. But definitely not a kid. No, so not a child. A child, no. But, okay. Yeah, well, one of the scenes that I liked was his first Christmas. Mm-hmm. You know, and when he's thinking about, you know, well, think about your Christmas present. What do you want? You know, type thing. And he decides to think about something that would be impossible for him to get. And it was a toy ark that his dad had made and painted the pieces and all of that. And he gets a perfect copy of it and the original had been lost you know and, and he says it was the same yellow hole orange prow you know going through everything is the same and he goes you know how did he know and Mr. Griff says oh Mr. Hood knows every dream in your head he says, but this is perfect look my dad ran out of blue paint when he was finishing the elephant so one of them has blue eyes and one has green eyes it's the same it's exactly the same she goes, does it please you? Harry, uh, Harvey said it did, but it wasn't entirely the truth. It was eerie to have the ark back in his hands when he knew the real one had been lost, as though time had been turned on its heels and he was a little kid again. And, and to me, that's the, that's the... I think that's the first point where he begins to question. A wondering, there's something wrong here. And you have to think about that statement. That's really interesting because the opposite is what's happening. He's he's not going back in time and skipping way ahead in time. So that's a really interesting, you know. There's a moment, sometimes throughout the book, where he says, questions aren't welcome here. You know? And. Even from the very beginning. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. Because it's like, you know, uh, I think it's just before the, the first Christmas in there, yeah, it's a chap- chapter four, A Death Between Seasons, where the, uh, you know, he's in there in the kitchen and, and the cat's tail catches fire and it jumps in the yeah. pot of boiling water and ends up dead on the floor and it's hard to tell if it was scalded to death or burned to death or what. You know, and and I know the first time I read the book, I'm just I'm reading along. All of a sudden, you know, it's it's one of the three cats in the house, and and it's dead. And it's like it was just so sudden and stark and there and in your face and kind of like, well, wait, like wow, yeah. <laughs> man. So. We don't realize to the end of the book how long the cats have been there. I know. Mm-hmm. When you actually think about, like, okay, well, each, each day's a year. Forget it. It's been centuries. I don't even know how long I've been here. I'm totally done. I don't think the cat did because the cat was dust. Yeah. The cat is everything in cars. I'd have to say that my favorite part was when Harvey was. 
he knew that that his wishes was draining the power of Mr. Hood. <laughs> so he was asking for all this outlandish crap. <laughs> asking for all the different types of food. And wanted flowers. new flowers, new toys, all the, and then what really got it was I want all the seasons all at once, ever changing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then how it was just completely draining the person that everyone thought was going to be all powerful. <laughs> this might not be a cartoon you're familiar with, but fairly odd parents. Yeah. Yeah. Timmy Turner just wishing for everything and everything and everything. Like it had a little bit of that whimsy to it. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I'd have to say that him thinking that he he uh, got the best of Mister Hood is is definitely my favorite part. Even though he didn't, it's just the that was my favorite part. Well, he did it. Rick just hadn't kept that bit of magic. Yeah, yeah. Well, Rick you know. just got the magic. Mm-hmm. And I just like I can't find any flaws in this book. I mean, there might be a couple little things here and there that doesn't really mean anything, but we'll get to that next. But yeah, definitely the part where where uh, Harvey thought he got the best of, of Mr. Hood is, is my favorite part of the book. So that's the point where when I was reading it, sorry, no, when I was reading it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't think my brain works that fast. Like, I can't imagine yeah. naming things, but I'm like, I want this and this and this and this and this. Like, my mind doesn't think that fast. He's yeah. running out of food and started making stuff. Yep. One was pastrami soup. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, how would you do Like, I, I sat there and I was like, <laughs> just making up stuff. Yeah. Stacks and stacks of dishes were just. Just being piled up inside the house. I like the different flowers that are on the same. Yeah. Like, they all have different, you know. Just trying to drain his power even more. You can do what you gotta do, you know? Giant snake, birthday cake, large chocolate <laughs> cake. That's exactly what's going on. I think the part that I enjoyed the most was the interactions, um, like, one of the first interactions between. Uh, Harvey and Mrs. Griffin actually when the cat died like isn't I, I don't like that part particularly but afterwards Harvey has this moment with Mrs. Griffin where she can see that he's crying and she calls him such a sweet boy and they have this this weird little like like bond of of inner sadness kind of thing and you can tell that Mrs. Griffin is like not necessarily okay but she doesn't like talk about it but there is like a sharing there Harvey knows that she's deeper than what he first thought she was just this, you know, person who gives food and she's just the servant. And no, he knows there's something else there. And I thought that was pretty cool for like a children's air quote children's book. Um, I just, I really, I, I really enjoyed that. You know, anytime that a character can get kind of introspective with another character, it's like that. It's, I dig that. I really do. <laughs> Well, one thing I really enjoyed about this book was the character Lulu. Like, I liked her character because by the time Harvey gets there, she's kind of like, you know, just gone. Like, totally like, you know what, I can't handle this place anymore. Like, she she doesn't really, you know, tell him exactly why, but she's like, you know, I've been here much longer than Wendell has been here. I've been here for so long. I don't know how long I've been here for. And it's just to me like I I loved her character because for me as the reader she was my first indication that oh something is not quite right I don't know what it is something's going on 
but I could tell like she, like that's how, that was my first indication was oh she's been here so long she knows stuff <laughs> you know she knows that things aren't the way they should be and um Rick just flying through the bedroom window wasn't your first indication? Oh, <laughs> the first indication, yeah. Anyway. Um, it's a story. You expect a little You expect something oh. like that. Like, anyway, um, but I think one of my favorite scenes was when she, before Harvey and Wendell leave the first time, when they're getting ready to leave and he's like, and, you know, he's kind of like wondering about what's going on with Lulu and she returns his pieces to that the, from the ark that fell into the pond. Yeah, when she was kind of part fish. Yeah, and she's like, don't look at me, please, just don't look. I want you to remember me the way I was before this happened. And he's like, what's going on? You know, like, why, why can't I look at you? Why? You know, I mean, you know, just that whole thing was really, like, kind of heartbreaking, but at the same time, I really, like, I enjoyed it because I loved the character so much. You know, I loved being, uh, just, how what she was willing to do to bring back the pieces to him, you know, like good luck going back where you're going, kind of thing, you know. So just the whole character, I, I really I loved a lot. Yeah. Um. Again, I had a real hard time with like I, I don't do well with child abuse, child abuse stories. If this book had had any other ending, I don't think I, I would been able to, to keep reading. Like, that's, like, if we're going into, like, the, the complaints, that's... Because um, I'm sitting there, like, if the house gets destroyed and they're just stuck 31 years in the future, they have to pay for the mistake they've made. Fine, that's a legitimate conclusion of the story. But the fact that they were able to go back to when they were abducted, again, I don't know if I would have liked this book if it had any other different endings. You keep calling it a child abuse story. I'm like, they weren't being... That's kidnapping. That's it was out. kidnapping, yes, yeah. but they weren't technically being abused. You want a child abuse story? We did that a couple of months ago with Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. no child named in the collected abuse. Sorry. Okay, this is Hermione. Yes, yes. They abducted the children and they were technically like stealing their life, but mm. the children weren't abused. Abused. They weren't really unhappy. They were. He was going overboard to make them happy. Yes, it was awful what he was doing, but I wouldn't call it a child abuse story. Well, the, the, the Doctor Who story, class act, when the alien is using children's brains to meet his own end, that's that's endangerment. That's yeah, yes. living off of... He is he, a vampire... I'm not saying it's not horrible. It's mm-hmm. absolutely horrible. I just think that you keep saying like that, and people are going to go, well, what was his parents doing? His parents did nothing to him. Yeah. <laughs> His parents loved and adored him he was very much. He, he was bored and yeah. he left home yeah. and ended up in this place. Where he technically went of his own him. will. It's kind of it wasn't Pinocchio. until he realized it is. It's very much like Pinocchio and the, the islands where they all turn into donkeys. The, in the this case, island, they turn yeah. into fish. But it's very much that way where the kids go of their own accord. They don't realize that they're being coerced. They don't realize that they're technically being kidnapped. 
you know, and they're enjoying themselves right up to the point where they turn into fish, fish in this book, or in the case of Pinocchio, donkeys. Um, so there's no anyway. That's all. I just wanted to clarify for our listeners. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't classify this as a view story. It's just uh, you know kidnapping story, misuse and kidnapping, horrible. Yes. Absolutely horrible. It's only totally kidnapping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it's better. I'm just saying it's, they're not like giving him black eyes. Yeah, yeah. You know, verbally assaulting him. Or <laughs> generally speaking, he is he is, or at least he's supposed to be happy there. But because of his curious nature, he ends yeah. up discovering the truth of the matter. Yeah, if he was like Wendell, he would have been completely oh, yeah, happy. Yeah, there. If he was just a, a most kids were like Wendell. Yeah. They were oblivious to the fact that they were being having a life sucked out of them. They were enjoying themselves. Mm-hmm. Look, he goes out. Keep going. No, that's, that's basically my only complaint. Is I right up until the end, I was not enjoying myself with <laughs> this book. I had a hard time reading this book. Um, and then you liked the ending. <coughs> I, I did the ending, the ending. The ending is a great ending with with the final confrontation and the realization that Hood is the house. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a video game boss fight in that. <laughs> it starts off with one mode of we're going to drain the house as much magic as possible, and then it comes back in a second form later on with the the skeleton. <laughs> like you only think you killed it. Yeah. That is actually really cool. Yeah. And. There's a moment where his cloak is tangled up into the, the vortex and he's being... Nookies! That's exactly what I thought. About nookies! Yep. You know, I was like, eh, there's some truth to that. Nookies. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, like, you know, it is, it is, I don't know... I had a hard time reading this as a 30-year-old. It's supposed to be a younger reader's book. I don't know, because of my own personal issues with it, I don't know what age this book would be appropriate for. It depends on the person, I think. But yeah. that's a, it's a really good book. It it's is a good book. really well-written. Yeah, I'll say it really depends on the person. I've said this many times. You read a book when you're ready to read it. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it, you could start. There have been several times in my life I've started a book and thought, oh, this is, I don't I don't like this book. And then 10 years later, start reading it and go, why did I not like this book? You know, yeah. I was at that age, I wasn't ready for that book. So it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you're, you'll read it when you're ready to read it. You, you know, don't, yeah. don't try to say, oh, you should read when you're 12. Oh, don't say, oh, you should wait until you're like you're 15 or 20, whatever. Yeah. When you're ready, you're ready. <laughs> it's, it's definitely one of Clyde Barker's different books. It's it's still creepy. It's the same thing as Clyde Barker. I don't know. <laughs> it's definitely in the horror genre, so to speak, but it's it's definitely different than his, the rest of, rest of his books. Now, uh, can I see your copy? Does your copy have the illustrations? Yes. Yes. Now, we, we have a talk. Six of them talk about some. Did he draw those? Yes. Oh, yeah. Those are all Clive Barker's illustrations. illustrations. He, They're that, amazing. That, I'm pretty happy. Those are pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. He, he is a he is a painter, and that's kind of all he does now. That because 
Right. His, his health is declining. His health is declining. He just did an interview with the Nerdist not too long ago. Um, so you said painter, and I didn't. I didn't. It didn't even click that. Like I didn't know he was a painter. He's a filmmaker, painter, author. Damn. Um, Dude many hats. Dude many hats. I have not seen all of his films. A lot of his films I'm uncomfortable with. Oh yeah, definitely Hellraiser is dead, but that's the reason why I was so into the Clive Barker books because his his movie Hellraiser was different than all the the, the horror movies out there and, and extremely bloody and graphic to the point now if they were made they'd probably definitely be NC seventeen. NC seventeen. Some of them would, yeah. Oh Some yeah. Uh, the technology we have now? Oh, God, yes. I know they're re-releasing one of his older movies. They, It was one of his first movies. He wasn't happy with it, but that, that was why he did the Nerdist. Yeah. They just recently restored it and they're working on re-releasing it. I wish I could remember the name of the film. They're doing like a Richard Donner cut of it? Yeah, they are. <laughs> what? Um, Maybe it's Nightbreed. I'm not Nightbreed, sure. I think. It's yeah, West, that's what, no, it's not West Green. It was like Screecher or something. Uh, I don't know. I don't recall. Um, anyway, I would encourage anyone to go out and look up that Nerdist interview. He's done a couple interviews with the Nerdist. Incredible artist. Incredible man. The art in here is just stark black and white. Like, almost gothic horror. Like, American gothic. Yeah. Like, I kept imagining the house as almost like the American Gothic house from the, the painting. I looked at it as um, the one from Psycho. <laughs> I can well, see that. Both logical choices. Yeah. It's kind of Monster House a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I did see that. This Or maybe something from the Monsters. Or the Monsters. Yeah. This needs, this needs to be an animated film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This really does. Like a good five, six ep- uh, movies, or maybe like a, sh- a short miniseries or something. I, I can see it as an hour and a half movie. Mm-hmm. Like the they book could is, easily make mm-hmm. it longer. Yeah, the book is short enough that you could get almost all the details yeah. in there. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like like Monster House, like that yeah. kind of PG thirteen. Oh, um, so it's a girl house. Sorry, that line just came to my hand. It's Oogie Lens. That was a girl. What? So it's going to be like, what? Sorry, girl. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie. I wanted to, but I didn't get the chance to actually. I'm actually kind of sad that they didn't make a movie out of this. It's not a kid's movie. It came across as a kid's movie. Oh, I know. Oogie's make it seem like a. Yeah, no, it's a scary movie that happens to be animated. Nice. Instead of live yeah. action, like it's your classic, like yeah, haunted house scary movie kind of a thing, you know. Yeah, I could see them doing something similar to that movie with exactly this. Oh, absolutely. You know, make it animated, make it. You know, I like. You know, I could totally see them adding, being able to add everything in from the book, mm-hmm. or you know, at least most. You know, I don't see anything that they should cut. You know, yeah. of course. I hate it when they cut stuff. Of course, you know, we're book people, so of course we're like, don't cut it. Make it. <laughs> on this and have a movie length movie. Exactly. You could. You could. That, it's, it's, it's the perfect adaptation size. It is. It's yeah, the, the book really isn't that long. It's a quick read. It, yeah. It's very quick. It's, you know, one of those books where it's like... You, you could probably get away with adding a few more scenes with the parents in the beginning. Yeah. And it's not like they use, you know, you know, 
ten all words or anything. It's it's no. very very easy to read. You could you could get knocked out very quickly reading. I, I stretched it out. I wrote it, read it in segments. <laughs> I managed to make it three evenings. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I really stretched it out, people. <laughs> I did. I sat down and I started reading. And you read it in 12 minutes. <laughs> I read it in two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. That was good. It was just as good as the last time, right? Yeah. You know, 20 minutes ago. And, and this was uh, the second. <coughs> this may have been the third time I've read this book. But uh, it's one that I do like. I second or third. Second or third. Yes. Um, so do we want to go around and I've kind of already said my my complaints. Um, I don't think there's very much to dislike about it. But we yeah, it's too short to have anything to dislike. <laughs> <laughs> it's too short to have anything to dislike. There you go. I didn't see any. There wasn't anything in it that I disliked. To tell you the truth, I would I would probably have to read it again to nitpick it apart to find something bad. But uh, that's just me. Just reading it for one time through, I. I didn't have a problem with any of it. I don't think I did either. I, I just, I just, something just came to mind. It's not a problem. It's something you don't expect. Lulu takes him. He goes to Lulu's room for the first time, and she's showing him, and she's showing him, and she's got this dollhouse, and she opens it up, and you're expecting dolls. dolls. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're expecting like the most amazing dolls ever. You know, it's full of a bunch of lizards. Lizards having teeth. Right, like it was fantastic. I you know, it's stuff like that that, like, no, that didn't bother me at all. It's just one of those things that you don't expect necessarily, or, or that made her a fully formed character. Yeah, exactly. Because it, a lot of people would, uh-huh. like, there are a lot of people who collect weird things like that. Like, oh, you wanted lizard? Okay, okay, okay. you got lizard. Okay. There you go. All right, yeah. Um, sure, why not? But it, it was good. You know, it's creepy. And and I think to label it as a kids book is a misnomer, but that's my only complaint. <laughs> uh, there, there are, uh, as as Lewis mentioned, it starts off like a classic kids book. You know, you have this bored kid, and he's saying, if you know, wishing for anything in the world to happen. If a detective, you know, scoped out my death, you know, he would <laughs> investigate all of this stuff. And a tear would trickle down his cheek when somebody asked, how did he die? And he would say he was swallowed it's by so the great story <laughs> of February. You know? He died of boredom. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, you know it, it does you know, start off like that. But then there are scenes in it that are, are quite horrific. You know. Like uh, when, when he's When he's being... Changed into reshaped, this, yeah. reshaped and formed into this actual flying bat-like demon thing. Demon thing <laughs> that you know is feeling the urge to kill this other child, but not following through on it. And and you know when he's when he's gone up to the attic to try to find Mister Hood and. Suddenly realizes Mr. Hood is the house. The entire house is Mr. Hood. And, you know, that sinks in for the first time and, and it's kind of like this uh oh moment, you know. And 
when he ends up having you know the final confrontation with Hood's minions, each one individually, it's you know it. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, there's a lot of stuff in there that's very, very, very dark. And starting off like a kid's book, you aren't you aren't expecting it, and yet it all fits, mm-hmm. and it all meshes together, and it creates a superb tale. You even get that Back to the Future. You said Flight of the the but I was thinking Back to the Future too, like mm-hmm. the alternate timeline when he's dealing with mm-hmm. his parents thirty-one years in the future. Okay, here, here's something that that pop, pops into my head. Okay, let me see the book. So, so you know, he's made it out. He's talked to his parents. His parents aren't sure what to believe, and they go, "Well, <clears throat> yeah, I can show you where the house is." You know. And so they go out, and he has no problem finding the place because there's no magic in Sela. Finds the hill, and there are people having the audacity to fly kites in this hill, you know. <laughs> and, and he's going up there, and he's digging in the ground, trying to find some some trace, some shred of proof that the house existed, so he could tell his parents, "See, it was here." And you know, his dad's like, "It's just a hill." You know, and and he's telling them it's it's there, it's there, and then this voice says, "Strange, isn't it?" And the guy, a little older than his father, is standing there smiling. What are you talking about? Says Arian. Flowers, the ground. Maybe the earth has its own magic. I mean, it's buried Hood's memory forever. You know about Hood? Oh yes. How exactly do you know, Harvey's mom asked. Our son's been telling us such strange story. They're all true. You know, and and then he's there, you know, and his dad says, were you one of Hood's prisoners? He goes, no, not me, and looks down the hill at the lady in the hat. And Harvey starts to think, he says, no, she sent me to talk to you. She wants you to remember her like you were. You know, kids together, and he realizes that it's that it's Lulu. You know, awesome moment. Here's my thought: Lulu had already figured out when they're saying their goodbyes that when she was captured by Hood, Harvey probably hadn't even been born yet. This this is the day after Harvey gets back. Is that how many days have Lulu and her husband gone to that hill? Mm-hmm. Some things I've thought about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just waiting for Harvey to show. Mm-hmm. Just so he can thank Harvey on Lulu's behalf. And it's like, it's for Harvey, it's his first day back, and he's taking his parents there, and, and this guy walks up and goes, Pretty miraculous, isn't it? No trace of good. But he's older than Harvey's dad. How you know? They they never talked about what year it was when they left. Not once in the story. No. So how many? I, I you think the, the the story very feels very timeless. Right, because they don't specify. They, they never give you a year. Mm-hmm. Even like Harvey's toy. This is the only thing that kind of dates it for me. 
Har- the animals in Harvey's Park were left. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yes. the only indicator. Indicator of well, it's not modern. Because it's not modern. No toys are made of lead anymore. Lead poisoning. 60s and 70s. But yeah, I got. I think this is the first time I got to thinking about that. How many times had Lulu and her husband gone on the hill? That's true. Waiting for Harvey. <laughs> I think I thought that while reading it, but completely forgot about like you know. Yeah. I'm just like, oh yeah. <laughs> and that. Yeah. That just, that just that was one thing that just kind of gets me after. I like right. the idea of the two of them having lunch every day on that hill. Mm-hmm. I really do. They know whereabouts, but like she knows the time of the day mm-hmm. that it was when you know probably noon or one or whatever. So every day they go out and they have lunch on that mm-hmm. hill. Mm-hmm. Probably not even thinking they're going to see Harvey, but maybe yeah. one of the other kids. Mm-hmm. It is a very nice, very poetic moment, but I think if you think about it a little bit too hard, it does kind of hard. But it's not it's not meant to be seen at as as critically as we are. True, but then again, I theoretically think of any story too hard it's going to uh, fall apart yeah. to some degree, <laughs> yeah. especially fantasy. Yeah, yeah. Fantasy, like, no, I don't think any. <coughs> there are very few books that you like. Okay. Every single thing makes sense, <laughs> you know, like even in the realm of fantasy or whatever the thing is. So it's like, as, as good of a book as it is, I think we can all agree that we're going to forget that one little aspect we may not have thought of or didn't feel the need to explain, or you know, maybe he didn't look over it just to feel like he needed to explain how he knew, you know. In my head, Kayla, it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. It you doesn't know. fall apart for me. So. It, that's just it, it didn't fall apart for me. It just was a thing to wonder about. Yeah, I got that. I think and I guarantee you, there are very few people who would go back. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you. We didn't see Wendell. Yeah. <laughs> Wendell's gone. Yeah. And we know. We don't like Wendell. <laughs> we know he would have been alive during that. Because he was younger than Lulu. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that was one of my. That's mainly my complaint. I was. That I didn't like about the book is I was hoping for a reunion with with the three of them. Mm-hmm. And if the the timeline is so spread out, Mrs. Griffin would have been dead. Oh yeah, Mrs. Griffin. Oh, yeah. oh Mrs. Yeah. Griffin's gone. Yeah. Centuries. Yeah. And she who knows says, how long? She even says like at this point, death is an old friend who I shoot away from my door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then I I I, I was kind of sad that Lulu didn't want to see him. And Wendell went after Wendell was saying, "Yeah, meet us here. We'll, we'll try to find the place and everything." And then he just doesn't show up at the reunion. I was kind of kind of upset about that. It doesn't surprise me, Wendell though. No, yeah, Wendell seems like a little punk, <laughs> little yeah, a little punk. Forget me. He's yeah, really who, who cares? Kind of <laughs> thing. Really and, and, and at that point, because there there was a difference between Wendell and Harvey's age. So Wendell could be off. In, he could have been off in the military. He could have been off to college. Yeah, I don't know. Could have died in a car wreck. That's true. That, yeah, that, that was the only thing I really didn't like about the book, and I, I, I that's I've been questioning that for ever since I read it again. I go, how come Clive Barker didn't make you make the the happy ending for that? I think because it's Clive Barker. I think it's Clive Barker. Because that's as happy as you're gonna get. It's very sweet, but it's all right. It, I, you know, I'm not too familiar with Clive Barker's works. I admit that. Well, they're dark. They're so very dark. So yeah, 
Um, but I think the reunion with all three of them would have been too obvious. Yeah. And I even thought because we never got her husband's name, I even wondered if yeah, Mrs. No, Mr. Lulu. Mr. Lulu was. Wendell, but no, I, I think there was too much time because Wendell talked about Lulu was being there forever too. Yeah. So I think I think I really think Wendell was not that much older than Harvey. Maybe maybe ten years older. You mm-hmm. know, probably around his twenties then. You know, or you know, as far as the, the the difference, I think probably only about that. That would be my guess. So, but here's the thing: when you first read it, you're thinking because it's a guy, you're thinking it's Wendell. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. looks up and there's some guy a little older than his dad, and he's like, "Go!" But if you look closely at the eyes, hey, Wendell! You know that's what you're expecting. Yeah. And no, that's not what it is. No. It's Lulu's husband. <laughs> I just, yeah, I was kind of, <laughs> kind of upset about that. I'm like, oh man, that kind of sucks. <laughs> but any, any other last? It wasn't really oh. a whole lot that I had to complain about. I, I really enjoyed this book. Um, I guess just, I, I guess just the the like. The sudden cruelty of the death of Clue Cat that kind of threw me at first because it's just so offhandedly. This, this poor cat's just being a cat, doing cat stuff, and then, and then it's burned and boiled and just and oh falls to the floor in the span of like half a page. If that, yeah, yeah. you're like the heck, what, what is happening? I don't know. That's just like. Like I can I can read that, but I could also go. Ooh, what purpose did that serve to further the narrative? Like, to the point where, as a reader, you're like, can I poke it with a stick? Like, yeah. I other cats to start dropping off. Yeah. The more that he was questioning, yes. Yeah. But I don't. First think time I ever read it, I expected the cat to come back to life, which is a magic place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the only thing I could think of is that it establishes, at least at that early point in the book, that like. It's not just that like the house is magic; it's that it's magic, but things can still kind of die, you know. Right. Which is something he hadn't really considered yet, but I don't know if it was successful in that adventure, if that's what the purpose was, and that's a big if. I don't know if it, yeah. that's what that was for. Uh, but that was that's really my only complaint. I, I really like the book; that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I think my only complaint, and it's actually more of a compliment, is the writing style. Uh, my only complaint, quote unquote, as it were, is the fact that. During certain points of the book, like it's so intense, like you know things are happening. Like, are they going to escape the first time? What's going to happen? That like I get, I myself would get panicked. Like oh my god, what's going to happen? Like okay, Melanie, breathe. You're not actually there. You're not actually <laughs> in trouble. Okay, breathe. So it's, it's, I, I guess I could say I was anxiety <laughs> during certain parts of it because I feared so much. So it's kind of like a complaint much compliment because of the writing was so, so, so well written that I was like oh please get out of this alive <laughs> you know so yeah, that far deep in the book that's, that's how deep that's really cool. I got in the book I mean mm-hmm. I, I didn't expect to get that deep into the book I mean I hoped I liked it it was a kid's book <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> hey I didn't call it a kid's book <laughs> no, <I know. laughs> but yeah. when, you were, when you're going into it you're yeah, like oh exactly it's a kid's book I'm like not necessarily that it'd be a bad thing to yeah. kid's book because it's like okay it's a kid's school oh my gosh okay <laughs> <laughs> it, it is Pinocchio in the Pleasure Island yeah. without the Blue Fairy. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you have to get your own way out of this. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I, I totally see the archetypes by Barker's playing with 
I'm curious to go down the rabbit hole of see, reading some of his other novels. <laughs> you have fun with that reading these yeah. <laughs> Beware. I, I have a feeling they don't have the same kind of happy endings. <laughs> uh, I'm not reading those. Read those yourself. I'll just give you a hint and say no. No. <laughs> but it, I have read several of them, and they are well written, yeah. but... No. Do not suggest books like It does say something about the author that very few people are a triple threat. Yeah. Like, like you have the actors who can sing, dance, and act. I hate them so much. <laughs> <laughs> but Why? he's a triple threat in different mediums. Yeah. His paintings sell for millions of dollars. His films are multi-million dollar films. His, you know, and he's a good writer. And I wasn't expecting him to be that good of a yeah. novelist. It's, it's not like he's like, oh, I'm great at novel writing, but I don't really sell many paintings, kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not like one of those things. So. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a little unfair. Yeah, like, <laughs> save some talent for the rest of us, dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> That's all. Oh, and That's what Rick just said. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? No, I'm not taking that offer. I'm not going to I'm going to work hard on my own. Thank you very much. Um, with that, any closing remarks? Any, any final? Definitely worth a read, I think. Yeah. 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 Very, yeah. very worth the read. Just don't read it to your five-year-old, okay? I kind of want to hear like an interview with him and, and hear him talk about like how he would describe the book, you know? Yeah, because a lot of authors don't necessarily see their books in the same way that the readers see them. You know, so I want to know what his take on this is. I think that means fascinating. It would yeah. definitely be worth like asking him, like, okay, so yeah. when you're writing this, you know, yeah. Yeah. typical questions that you would ask, but still questions that you might want to get the answer to. You mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, my friend Jesse Chapman and Wes Lober and I met Clive Barker in San Bernardino at nice. a. Comic, not, I don't want to say a comic book convention. Um, Wes was the owner of All American Comics back in the early 90s, and he would go and pick up his his comics for for a store, and, and then there was like a little convention with, with the, I guess, the distributors of the comic books, and that's how we met Clyde Barker. And the guy... It would have been a distributor uh, conference. Yeah, I think that's what it was, a distributor conference, exactly. And... Um, just looking at the guy, I just couldn't picture him pulling out all of these stories out of his ass like he did. Man, it's just <laughs> incredible. Clyde Barker's, I mean, he's a, an amazing guy, and I hope he, he, he feels better from his sickness. Yeah. yeah. One thing I thought was interesting about this copy that we have here, the physical copy, is in the back, if you look in the back, he, um, there's a picture of the author at age 10. Yeah. Really? Uh, yeah, and it's like yeah. him. Yeah. Oh, he's adorable. <laughs> right? It's like, oh, you know. Oh, he, he said, looking at her. I'm like, oh, that reminds me. There's a picture of him in the back. Yeah. Like, like, I don't know. And then the, then the little synopsis about Clyde Barker. So, just when he <laughs> said looking at it, maybe think, oh, yeah, there's a picture of him. Makes you wonder if he was writing it about himself. <laughs> hey, that's. Be really interesting if you were. Oh man, he had a bad childhood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. 31 years. Well, he did grow up in England. <laughs> so rainy. Well, this is just England. All right. All right. Um, are we going to still do the books like, or are we dropping that segment? Oh. 
the only thing I can say is Little Nemo is the only thing that keeps coming to mind. Pinocchio is the only thing. Pinocchio. But they're but they're so still very different. There's so some similarities. Very different. Yeah. It's, it's even young adult readers. I don't think Goosebumps is not even close to this. Shadow over Innsmouth. Shadow over Innsmouth. <laughs> We're going into Cthulhu mythos. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Awesome. <laughs> 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 that the people start turning into the fish. So yeah. children, there are things called elder gods. Sorry, time. Sorry, time. A friend of mine posted a, a picture of like a, a, a fake child's book, and it was like. Uh, child's first elder god summoning. <laughs> <laughs> e is for eldritch horror. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not good um, <laughs> it's, it's hard to compare it though because it's it's kind of a haunted house story, but not really, and it's kind of a time travel story, but not really. Like yeah. it's kind of like a magic, but mm, yeah. yeah. It's I'm just I'm just hoping they turn it into a movie. This <laughs> this needs to be a, 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 a movie animated or otherwise. Yeah. Something, something yeah. for someone who doesn't want to read the book, at least have some, sort of some visual. Yeah. yeah. Sci fi channel, HBO, whatever. Dark I don't Horse, care. I know Dark Horse has published a graphic novel adaptation. I was going to say, I remember mm-hmm. seeing Barker's name on some like graphic novels every once in a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so much. Uh, stuff out there. No, yeah, I doubt he, it. He, he would have his own comic book line and everything. Yeah, and he was like his comic book line was like around during first comics in the oh, wow. late nineties and or late yeah, 80s Razor, early It was 90s. the Razor line series. Razor line, yeah. Um, very prolific author. Um, I hope somebody buys the rights and yeah. film rights and does something with this because this is incredible. Start a movie company. Kickstarter. <laughs> 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 Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, um, next, next month. Next month, the okay. So explain the, what we're doing. The reaping. The reaping. Okay. Oh man. Wait, we haven't. Not yet. Cause we have wings. Oh, we don't have wings. Let's go. Yeah. It's okay. Okay. Um, we are uh, for next month and probably moving forward to, to for a while. For a while, um, we're going to be drawing books out of a TARDIS. Um, <laughs> Literally, all <laughs> the big targets. Targets, cookie jar. Yeah, we're nerds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going uh, through a backlog. I would play the sound effect, but the battery's dead in the, the cookie jar. Uh, I, I know. Right anyway. <laughs> I know, right? Like, oh, um, you get fined $20,000. I'm going to do this under the radar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> get sued by BBC. Right. So we have, what is it, 20? Yeah, we have 36. 36 books. books that are backlogged. In the drawing. <laughs> and, yeah, so. All right, pull one out. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's, let's see what we're Russell, Russell, Russell. Okay. 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 Okay.
Lewis, I believe you put this in there. I did. I like did. Months ago. Months yeah. ago. Um, you want to? I think it was my second selection. Know, Take right? us out talking about. Harry Dresden and the importance of the series. So Harry Blackstone Copperfield Dresden is a <laughs> wizard and a private detective working openly in Chicago. He is listed in the phone book and he will not do love, bo- love potions or endless curses or any kind of party trick magic. He is a legitimate detective and he will help you find things. And in the course of the first book, uh, he... Well, I don't want to spoil anything, of course, but uh, the stakes are very high for for a wizard working in Chicago just trying to get by and pay the rent. <laughs> All right. Uh, awesome. So next month, Jim Butcher... Um, Stormfront. Stormfront. All right. See you then. So there you have it. That was uh, The Thief of Always by Clive Barker. Uh, once again, I want to encourage you guys to go check out our Facebook page. Um if, if you want to do more than that, uh, destinycomics.com. We have uh, plenty of books and, and some uh, the 8-Bit Pulp Collection, which some of our uh, podcasters contributed to and wrote and edited for. So, uh, you know, please help and support us. We're a small little uh, entity on the Internet. So I want to say thank you for any support. Also, um, you know, again, like and subscribe. Uh, we have our Facebook page, the bookie, facebook.com slash bookies, as well as, um, Destiny Comics on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and, uh, Facebook. Um, once again, if you're going to be in the San Diego area, uh, January, uh, 6th through the 8th, um, 10th Avenue, um, Art Center, uh, GamerCon is putting on an art show. Uh, I think you guys will like that. Um, also we'll be starting, I'll be starting back up, uh, real soon, uh, next month, my, uh, Betty Bombshell webcomic, so please pay attention for that, Betty Bomb, there's a Facebook page devoted to Betty Bombshell as well, um, but you can find her on the website and a couple other, uh, webcomic-y stuff. So, uh, thank you for your, uh, viewing, listening uh, to our podcast and uh, next month will be our first uh, adventure into the Dresden Files Harry Dresden um, I love this book Stormfront um, by uh, Jim Butcher one of my favorite authors and uh, so come back next month for um, the Dresden Files with Jim Butcher <laughs>